shared this before, but a number of years ago, I was the only husband in church that didn't give his wife a flower on Mother's Day. Yeah, I know some of you do. Can't believe of all the things you forget. But that's not one of them. But I, I didn't really forget this morning. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all of you that will be mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all of you that are not biological mothers, but you're mothers in the faith. You know, over the years, there's been individuals that really didn't like Mother's Day much. It was not necessarily a day of celebration or recognition. Sometimes you may have lost your own mother. Your earthly mother may have passed away, and it's a day that brings back those kind of memories that are hard to deal with. Uh, Sometimes some of us have actually had broken relationships with our mothers, and it's one of those things that we haven't made right. Maybe we never did get the chance to make it right. Some of us, some of you, may be women who have been praying to become a mother in the natural, and God has not answered that prayer yet and blessed you with your own children, biological children. And I just want to remember today, not just the moms, but the women, all of our women, godly women, women who play such an important role in building the kingdom, not only in the raising of children, but helping to train up other people's children in the things of the Lord. So this morning, I'm going to look at a woman in the scripture, and it's, I guess it works for Mother's Day, and it works for men. The message in here is, is, is particularly about a lady, but it works for all of us, the truths that we see represented here for all of us. Um, sometimes when, if you're like me, sometimes we think of these Bible characters, uh, and we sometimes forget they're real people. They're real people who faced the same kinds of real-life issues that we did. Matter of fact, most of them lived in situations that were much more difficult than we'll ever ever experience and not all of the things in their lives were good they had issues they had problems they had troubles they were real people that faced real challenges might be a little different than the ones we face today but nonetheless real challenges so I'm going to first kind of give us a picture of the setting we're going to be in the Old Testament and there was a time in Israel Israel went through this it's almost like a cycle of turning away from God, God putting in place a leader who would bring the people back to, towards him, to him, and it didn't take long. Usually, if, the, if it lasted throughout the lifetime of the judge, that was good. A lot of times, the judges that he put in place had their own issues, their own troubles. Many, many times in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, many, many times, He allowed them and even caused them to be taken into captivity. That neighboring countries, enemies, would take over their territories. Sometimes they would conquer them and they would disperse them throughout their lands. God would use all of that to slowly bring his people back. Everything he did was always designed that way, to bring his people back to himself. So the story that we're going to look at the morning is is set in that time frame. The situation really in Israel was bleak. It was bad. It was kind of a a time when there there was no judge. God put judges in charge of the nation of Israel. 
and there was no judge, and it was before the kings. So what we had going on here is a nation without a leader. And in Judges 21, verse 25, this kind of summarizes what the situation looked like in the time of this story. It says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And it's clear in Scripture, when there is no leader, it gets bad. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that all leaders are put in place by God. And when I think back throughout history and some of the leaders in different nations of the earth, you think, what in the world? God, what were you doing? But I think it's a demonstration and shows us that even bad leaders are better than no leader because when there is no leader, utter chaos begins to take place. And that's kind of where the nation of Israel is when we read that scripture in Judges chapter 21. In those days, Israel had no king. They had no leader. Everyone did whatever they pleased. Even the priesthood had become corrupt. We're going to talk about a priest named Eli. He wasn't near as corrupt as his two sons, but he did nothing about the corruptness of his own sons. Even the religious environment for the nation of Israel had become corrupt. People were not celebrating the feast days that they were supposed to celebrate. They were not worshiping and offering sacrifices like they were supposed to be doing. Basically, corruption. And it's in the midst of that that our story takes place, and it's found in 1 Samuel. Now, in your Bibles, there's, we come to Joshua and then Judges, and then there's the book of Ruth tucked in there. But actually, historically, it goes, should go right from Judges to 1 Samuel. So when we get a picture in 1 Samuel of what's taking place here, that's the situation of Israel is not good. And in 1 Samuel, we're going to meet a lady named Hannah. And Hannah was going to be, or was, the future mother of one of the most used-by-God prophets that we see in the whole Old Testament. Her son was going to be the great prophet who even put in place the first king. And his name was Samuel. But as of yet, when we meet Hannah, there was no son. Hannah is a real person, and you'll see she had real problems. And she has a faith that should be an example for all of us, not just the women, but for all of us. But she truly was a woman of faith. And as we look at her story, I want us to see a few significant aspects or traits, if you would, that really point out to us what a woman of faith she was. First, for her problems, when we look at some of the scripture, you're going to see that uh, Hannah's husband himself had a divided heart. He had two wives. Her home was not a home of peace, a place of peace and tranquility. Her home was a place where there was all kinds of trials because of these two wives. Her hope had been extremely disappointed for a number of years. And believe it or not, she was totally misunderstood by her husband. How does that happen? (laughs) Us men don't get it. And we'll see that in this story of this amazing woman of faith. So the first thing I want us to see is that 
Women of faith have real problems. Sometimes we act like we're supposed to be these dynamic women of faith or men of faith, and therefore we should have no problems. Not true. Let's look in 1 Samuel. I'm going to read first from uh, just starting in verse 1. There was a certain man from, from Romathiam, Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elahu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, the, an Ephraimite. Mostly what I want us to remember there is Elkanah. That's the husband. That's the man. And then it says in verse 2, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. There is the source of so many problems. Now this man, Elkanah, would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When we look at these first three verses, we see some of the problems I mentioned. A husband with two wives. Probably as a result of the fact that Hannah was barren and she had no children. And the other wife had some children. And in the time of Israel, if you were a barren wife, it was considered a curse. You were under a curse. So this puts you in a place where you're spiritually looked at in a negative way because of this curse. You're socially disgraced. You're a married woman and you don't even have any children. A social disgrace. And you can only imagine the emotional pain that she suffered. And it says every year they would go up to Shiloh. That was the designated place of worship. So at least in this culture where all kinds of vile, evil sin was taking place, her husband was yet a man who would go to worship the Lord and he would go and honor the feast days and he would sacrifice as they were to sacrifice and he would take his family with them. But when we get there and as we read further in the story, we begin to realize that the priest who takes the sacrifices is in a bad place and his sons, I guess I think we could just plain say they're evil. They are two ungodly men. They were vile men contaminating the temple and these were supposed to be men ministering to those that came to worship. And in verse 4, it goes on and says, And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all his sons and her daughters. All his sons and her daughters. She had a number of children. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. When you look at this, we see that Elkanah did love his wife. He did love Hannah. And that idea of giving her a double portion is very significant. He gave her twice as much to bring as an offering and a sacrifice as a demonstration of his love. But notice also in verse 5, and I thought of that when we were singing that last song, when God doesn't move the mountains that we're asking him to move. Notice it says there that the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord was the result. The barrenness was the result of the Lord. Sometimes our theology doesn't work with that. Sometimes we want to blame everything on the devil. Everything that we don't like must be from the devil or somebody else's fault. 
Sometimes, sometimes, God does things in our life that aren't pleasant, but to bring about a greater good. And that's the thing we need to understand. Whenever there is that thing that we don't understand, we still serve a good God. We still serve a God who loves us and wants nothing but the best for us, but we sometimes don't see beyond the current, beyond the now. We can't see beyond the circumstances. And boy, when that happens, it can really wreck our faith if we don't guard our faith. And this is the situation that Hannah finds herself in. The womb has been closed. She's barren. And all of the things that go along with that were things that she had to face. And then there's her rival. And I say rival. Look at verse 6. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. There are some strong words there in the Hebrew. Paniah, provoked with bitterness to irritate her. That, that word irritate in the Hebrew, the primary meaning is to cause or sound like thunder. In other words, Paniah was trying to irritate and get under her skin to cause her to blow up. She was trying to do anything she could do. And it doesn't tell us exactly why, but I think we could probably assume safely she knew that Elkanah loved Hannah. And even though she was the one with the children, she was the one whose womb was opened, she was angry and bitter. In verse 7 it says, And it happened year after year, We don't know how long, how many years that is, but we saw in the previous verse she had sons and daughters. So year after year they would go up to offer sacrifices. And it looks like from the Scriptures that's when Penah would really ramp up the irritation, the bitterness. Here they are going to worship God. And Hannah's womb is closed. She has no children. Hananiah has all kinds of children. She appears to be the blessed one. And as they go up to worship, she just gets on Hannah in the worst way. And then in verse 8, then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, man, listen to this. (laughs) This is a loving husband who doesn't get it. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? When they would go to worship, in verse 7, it says, year after year, often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and wouldn't even eat. And Elkanah, her husband, at least he noticed, right? And then he finishes in verse 8 with, am I not better to you than ten sons? I don't think that was the encouragement she was looking for. And the answer might have been, no, you're not. So not only has she got all of these other things going on that are making her life difficult, her husband, probably with very good intentions, but also so misunderstanding. And for us husbands, just for a moment, and the wives just say your amen silently, 
He says, am I not better to you than ten husbands? Instead of listening to her pain, what did he do? He did the classic thing that us men sort of do. He tries to rationalize her problems away and kind of really ignores her feelings. And it's almost as if he's just trying to solve the problem rather than just to understand her. Are any of you guys like that? Your wife is in a bad place emotionally. And we try to understand and fix it. Well, we forget the understand part. We just go right to solving the problem and trying to fix it. And it doesn't do a bit of good. And this is what Elkanah is doing with Hannah. So she's got this lady tormenting her. She's so upset, all she can do is weep. She can't even eat the food that they're supposed to eat. And she's in this state, and her husband just doesn't get it. He's not understanding. And now they're going to go to a priest and supposedly offer sacrifices to God. And I want to just, a little sidebar. Ladies, a lot of times you've had to hear and listen to insensitive comments. Hopefully they've been well-intentioned. But there is always that potential there when there's an insensitive comment made to pick up an offense. I just want to encourage you, don't pick up an offense. An offense then becomes an issue between you and the Lord. And one thing we see in Hannah, she was, her faith was strong. In her pain, in her anguish, all the suffering that was going on, she was staying focused on her faith. And we see that begin to play out. So the first thing that I want us to see in the life of the faith, woman of faith is that it's not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Don't expect it to be perfect. The second thing is we see in her response, women of faith are passionate prayers. Passionate prayers. When we look at these verses, and starting in verse 9, it says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost by the temple of the Lord. And she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never cut his head. You may not understand, but certain people were set aside as Nazarites. And one of the things they would not do is ever cut their hair. That was a sign. Most of the time, that was for a season of their life, not necessarily their entire life. Here Hannah is saying, Lord, if you hear the cries of your handmaiden, I will give my child back to you for all the days of his life. All the days. When Hannah was confronted by these problems, confronted by these issues, as a woman of faith, she didn't shut down. She didn't close down. She didn't respond in anger towards others. She expressed her faith in prayer. There's an interesting verse in Psalms 119, verse 71. It says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that it's good 
to be a disciplined as a child of God because he's trying to bring about something in our life that we would hear him and respond like Hannah, this woman of faith. Her problems drove her to prayer. She mixed her weeping and her crying with prayers. As I said in verse 10 and in 11, she cried out. And some of your translations will say, O Lord Almighty. Some of your translations will say, O Lord of hosts. And that phrase, Lord of hosts, is, is a picture of our God with all the armies of heaven at his control and in his, his, the power and authority he has. She was crying out to him as a woman of faith, O God, Almighty God. Lord of hosts, you who commands all the armies of heaven, you have an authority and power, and I need you because I can't do anything. A woman of faith, a person of faith, acknowledging our helplessness in so many situations. Even as we talk about accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, gaining eternal life through what Christ did, We have to get to that place where it's a step of faith and acknowledge there's nothing we can do, absolutely nothing we can do in our own strength, not by works, nothing. We cry out and trust God who sent his son to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. And we see Hannah in that place of total vulnerability, total humility, crying out to God, It says in bitterness of soul, meaning a sorrowful soul. She was pained in her soul. She was grieved in her soul. And that's okay. Women of faith, that's okay. But it's not a bitterness or anger towards God. When you look at the story of Hannah in these first couple chapters, you do not see bitterness and anger, the kind of bitterness we talk about. Her weeping led her to worship. She acknowledges something here that I think we all need to be reminded of, and we go through this every time we dedicate a child here at this church. She acknowledges that though she desires a child, she recognizes that that child really is the Lord's. She's not taking ownership. She's not asking for this child as if it's my child. She says, Lord, if you will honor the request of your maidservant, I will give him back to you because he belongs to you in the first place. And he will serve you all the days of his life. Think about that prayer. She is grieved that she's not got a child. She's spiritually, socially, and emotionally distraught. And she's asking God to bless her, open her womb, that she might have a child so I can give him to you. No selfishness. An amazing woman of faith. And in verse 12, it says, Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Eli's the priest. Notice she prayed that prayer to the Lord, but she didn't quit praying. She just continued to pray. A woman of faith is one who is driven to passionate prayer, and they don't give up. They just continue to press in, continue to pray. And it says she's praying inwardly. In other words, really, what she was doing, she was praying silently. But there was such passion in her. She was moved by some, her mouth, her lips were were speaking the words, only there was no noise coming out. And Eli is watching us. The priest is watching this, and he makes this crazy assumption. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. She must be drunk. 
And he accuses her of being drunk. The high priest. This woman passionately praying to God. And he just assumes that she is drunk. And then she responds to him. I'm going to read starting in verse 13. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving. Her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. I mean, this poor lady, she's got all these things going on in her life. She's pouring out her heart to God, and the high priest, who is supposed to be God's representation on earth, accuses her of being drunk. She can't catch a break. How does she respond as a woman of faith? Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. She's pouring out her soul to the Lord. Verse 16, Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Do not consider her a worthless woman. Where would that come from? Being spiritually considered cursed because your womb has never been opened? Being socially kind of an outcast because your womb has never been opened? Struggling with all of the abuse that you're having to take from your husband's other wife? Now you're being accused of being drunk because you're pouring out your heart. I think her heart speaks when she says, do not consider me a worthless woman. And then Eli answers her and says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And in verse 18, she says, And let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. This woman of faith received the promise by faith. The high priest probably didn't realize what he was even doing when he spoke those words, but he was confirming prophetically what the Lord was going to do in her life. And she received that promise by faith. So women of faith have the real issues, real problems. Women of faith are driven to passionate prayer because of those problems. And we see in verses 19 and 20, God's provision for a woman of faith. And they arose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Notice they got up the next morning and worshipped, and then returned home. And she names him Samuel, heard of God. By faith, she is responding. There needs to be a caution here because not everybody who prays for a child is going to have that prayer answered the way that they want to have it answered. She was giving thanks for the provision that God made. You may be one who has never been able to have a natural child. Maybe you're still praying. 
I don't want you to go and take this verse and say, therefore God will give me my child. I don't know that that's the case. But I do know this, that he will make provision for a woman of faith. Whatever that provision is, it may be grace. It may be peace. I don't know. He may bring other children across your lives in ways that you've never thought of. I don't know. But I do know that for a woman of faith, God will make provision. So we don't want to assume beyond what the Scripture is telling us. It appears really, if you go through this whole section of Scripture, that God allowed or caused this season of barrenness in her life, as painful as it was, to bring a greater blessing than she ever could have imagined. And so often that's the way it is when things are brought into our life by the Lord. We look at it with the wrong perspective. And when we get on the other side, we can look back and say, now I get it. Now I see. Look what God has done. Look how God has used this thing that at the time we thought was so painful couldn't possibly be of God. Looking backwards. We don't know and understand all the things God is doing most of the time. Women of faith, God will provide. And fourth, we see in the next couple of verses, 24, 21, 22, 23, women of faith keep their promises. How many of you have ever negotiated with God? How many of you ever said something like, well, God, if you, then I will. And then he does, and then we don't. Ever heard those kinds of prayers? Ever spoke those kinds of prayers? God, if you just fix this, I'll live my life for you the rest of my time. God, if you just do this one thing, I guarantee you I'll never do this again. Well, that's kind of how Hannah prayed, isn't it? Lord, if you hear the prayers of your maidservant, if you open my womb, if you bless me with the son, then I'll give him to you. How many of you know that in the natural, that's a big promise? I've been childless for years. I have been taking abuse spiritually, physically, emotionally for years, especially from this other woman who lives in the same house that I do and sleeps with the same man I sleep with. And now I finally have a son. I finally have a child. Oh, yeah. Lord, you really wouldn't mind, would you? I mean, you bless me. You really don't want me to give him away, do you? Faithful women, women of faith, keep their promises. When we look at the Scripture, it says in verse 19, after they, or 20, I've read verse 20. Uh, let's go to verse 21. Then the man named Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. Child's been born. It's that time of year again to go to Shiloh. But it says, But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, 
Remain until you have weaned him. Only make the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Typically in that day, it was not unusual. Two years at least, often three years before the child was weaned. So she wasn't delaying her promise. She wasn't hesitating about what she was going to do. She was just doing what would be normal to take the best care of that child that she could possibly do. And it took two, but it looks like three years in all likelihood. And it's interesting when I get down a few verses, I'm going to go ahead and just continue reading. Now when she had reamed him, verse 24, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bowl and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. They slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. She's reminding him, do you remember? I'm the one. You accused of being drunk. And then she says, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. Notice it says, and he worshipped the Lord there. In that last verse 28, she says twice, and I dedicated him to the Lord. I dedicated him to the Lord. I sometimes wonder in my own spirit, is she just reminding herself, building up her faith? I'm going to follow through, but this is going to hurt. But I'm going to follow through. And he worshipped the Lord there. This child was probably no more than three years old. And it says, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah had done her job, and she had done it well. This woman of faith, training up a child, only up to age probably three years old, and yet this child was able to worship the Lord, whatever that looked like. Train up your child in the way that they may go. She had done her duty. And as we continue on, we can read that in a further next chapter, She also continued a part of her mothering duties. It says every year when they would go back to worship in Shiloh to bring their sacrifices, every year she would bring another robe for her son to wear. Continuing to meet his needs as a woman of faith, even though her young son didn't live with her. She kept her promises. And the really exciting thing is the Lord gave Hannah three more son, three sons and two daughters. Her faithfulness, her provision. And we don't have time, but I would encourage you, Second, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah's song of thanksgiving is the heading in my Bible. I don't know what it says in yours. But you see a picture of Hannah's heart, this woman of faith who is driven to respond in praise. I'm just going to read the first couple verses. Then Hannah prayed and said, now she's just presented her son, the answer to her prayers. She's just presented him to the priest, and she is preparing to walk away, leaving her son dedicated to the Lord. No bitterness, no anger, no sadness, Nothing but praise comes off her lips. And if you would read this section and really study it, it's just an amazing, amazing prayer from a mighty woman of faith. In verses 1 and 2, it just says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. 
My horn, that word horn, my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against all my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk about a woman of faith responding with praise as she fulfills her promise as the Lord has heard her prayers and answered her petitions. It's interesting when you look at that prayer too. There's really no focus on her son. It's like she doesn't focus at all on the amazing gift. What she focuses on is the giver of the gift. What a woman of faith. One who keeps her eyes on God no matter what. That song, Trust in You, no matter what, I'm going to trust in you. We have a church full of women of faith like that. It is such a blessing to be surrounded by women of faith. Faithful women who are continually praying, seeking God, and praying for us foolish husbands at times, training up children, serving in the church, doing all these things that faithful women do. Hannah had endured years of silent suffering because of her barrenness, because of the harassment at the hand of Peninnah. She continued to worship no matter how painful it was. And when God finally answers her prayers, she just explodes in praise. For our ladies, women, I so often try to minister to women who feel of no value. They're not good enough. They're not worthy. They're not accepted. And in the natural, I can sit and look and see that that's all lies. But they believed it. Look at Hannah. In the natural, you could have said all those things. But it wasn't true. God did not look at Hannah for what she did, what she accomplished. She just looked at, he looked at Hannah for who she was, child of God. Women of faith, you're children of God. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe those things that have been planted in your head. You are of great worth and great value. And as women... Mothers, women, in the roles that we play, one of our primary missions is to raise up children to the glory of God. And the challenge, one of the primary challenges there, if we really want to raise up our children who will glorify God, our homes need to be homes that glorify God. And our lives need to be lives that glorify God. There's a challenge in there. But the grace of God is sufficient in all those things. We need to remember that all these children belong to him. We're just caregivers. That's really the end of my message, but I found this slide that I just love, so I'm going to have Owen put it up. Hasn't 
Be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh no, she's up. I love that because I know it's so true with so many of our women. The devil would say, oh no, she's up. Let's close in prayer. Can I have the ladies, let's just stand and pray. And Can I just have the ladies stand where you're at? And those of you guys that are around them, kids, get around them. We want to just lay hands on these women. And we're really blessed in a sense because we've got enough men to do that. So many churches are filled with three-fourths, four-fifths women. The husbands aren't involved. So whatever, ladies, come on, guys. That's better. You might have to put your hands on two of them. Emmanuel, get over here. We got a couple on the end. Jeez, guys, get over it. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the amazing gift these women are to their families, to their homes, to the body of Christ. God, we thank you for the gifts and talents that you've put in them. Lord, I would ask in the name of Jesus and the authority of that name that you would break any lies that they have held on to about their value or their worth. God, that they are extraordinary creations by the creator of all life, the giver of all life, that these are your daughters, these are your children. God, that you love them for who they are. God, and I thank you, and I pray, Lord, that that would penetrate their minds and their hearts, that they are value and of great worth. God, I pray you would bless them. I pray you would honor the desires of their hearts. God, I thank you that you do say in your word that you will provide all that we need. God, and that is so much more than just material things that you will provide. God, I pray that you answer the prayers of these faithful women with provision in their lives, provision that will meet and exceed every expectation. Lord, we thank you and praise you, and I pray they would be blessed not just today but every day. And I pray you would help us as men and young men to honor them, to respect them, to lift them up, to strengthen them, to be their spiritual leaders of the women that you bring into our lives, that we would take that seriously, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.